This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm a first time guest, but a longtime friend, so I don't know why it's taken so long to bring in Tom Souter of ATARC. Tom, welcome to the show, man. Good to be here, Mark. Thank you for having me. Hey, past due, huh? I mean, we've it's, only known each other like 25 years. I think so, but we're going to make up for lost time, I guess. There you go. So um, not everybody in this market knows everybody. So tell people who you are, what you do, and start with that Virginia Tech thing. <laughs> Well, I'm a I'm a diehard Hokie. Uh, you know, when I attended Virginia Tech, I I was the sports editor of the college paper, so I'm definitely heavy in the in the football. I was a little bit infamous, a few reasons, but it was you know for sports, I got to go to Hawaii to cover Virginia Tech. I've been across the country, and I'd never really traveled before that, so I was did some you know, interesting things with the budget that got stretched out our dollars, but it was, uh, (laughs) I think it definitely prepared me for our job now because when you go in a locker room and you have to interview pro athletes, you're not really scared to do business after that. If you've got to interview Dennis Rodman or NBA players or NFL players, uh, you really get to get over your fear real quick or they're going to, you know, look at you funny. Cool. So, um, I got to ask, you know, you did Virginia Tech, but you got an exec program at Harvard. Uh, Which one? It was in actually negotiation. And I've taken a few executive education ones, but the the one in negotiation was really, really interesting. And it served me well since I I took it. I think it was like in 2000 or so. But it, it, it made me think that, you know, instead of dollars and cents, just go pure play dollars. Maybe you can come up and not take dollars off the table and give them something else that's a value to them, but it's less for you, you know, and it's really taught me to uh, give and not be absolute on negotiations, but give things that are good for them and not so so expensive to you rather than a lot of the, a lot of the negotiations here is, Hey, I want 10% off your price, you know, rather than do that, give them the full price and uh, keep that full price, but give them something else. It's a nice benefit to them that doesn't cost you a lot of money. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that benefits you at ATARC, but we're not there yet. The reason yeah. I asked about Harvard is uh, I try to read Michael Porter's stuff. I, I end up reading Joan Magretta's stuff, and I actually had her on the show a couple of shows back. Joan's latest book is What is Strategy? And it's basically a graphic novel. Uh, with Michael Porter as the helicoptered-in hero. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've read uh, read his stuff through the years in the Harvard uh, Business Review. Awesome. Yeah, HBR is awesome. They I, I love them because they send me books, uh, and then they ask me if I want to interview people. <laughs> yeah, they hurt your brain a little bit. You got to be like really well rested and bring your A game when you're when you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So you read Porter. I read. Uh, I read Joan because she she wrote, and you'll you'll like this. 
Understanding Michael Porter was written about 11 years ago, and it's been, and that, that was her first major book, and it's been an Amazon bestseller ever since. It outsells Michael's books. So, yeah, that's, that is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's like the Rosetta Stone for, for Porter's work. So, congrats on, on the, the uh, executive program. It's out, you know, the negotiation one, would serve you extremely well where you've been. So I think we met when, I know we met when you and Dennis started uh, Concert Tech. Maybe, you know, I don't know if it was early or in the first year or just after the first year, but it was pretty early in that time frame. Tell me a little bit about Concert Tech. It was, it was in 1994 and it was, it was, I had a job with, my partner, Dennis Mazaris, and uh, he had a local cabling company. So he, we would wire up buildings for computers. And phones. This is right when network computing, you know, networks started happening. You know, we, we, we would actually install Category 5 cabling. And uh, there was a little program called FTS 2000, which was telecommunications for the government starting in the late 80s to the 90s. You know, these programs at GSA have FTS 2001, networks and then EIS. These are like 10 year programs. Yeah. So I was in one and in, in the, you know, kind of, you know, FTS 2000 and I was, there was a, a little problem when the, especially when the telecommunications act of 1996 happened where the bell companies started not delivering services where you need them. They'd take them to the building and then you're on your own, Mr. Customer to take them where they needed to go. So uh, we, we helped sprint at the time kind of like with the circuit that needed to be extended. And it was actually between the United States and Canada for you know, border patrol. And that started a couple that we were doing a month. And uh, we ended up starting concert technologies in 1995, I believe. And then every time the federal government had a network that they need to install around the country, like the IRS, that's like 2,200 sites, they would get us to install the inside wiring uh, maybe install the communication gear. And, uh, you know, we would do 400 installs a week, you know, deployments, like going, you know, around to the federal government. We did a lot of the Department of Defense. We did a project, uh, the Trilogy project was like, we had to get 1,500 technicians cleared to do this install work. So it was very, very rewarding. And uh, I think that helped my career just be organized and then even the IT part of it. Uh, how do we, we built our system natively, you know, we started out in folders and then, but then you're starting to scale too much. You can't, can't just have everything in a file folder. Uh, we actually had a line of about 30 file cabinets with about our first 50,000 jobs we did in file folders. And we faxed in the beginning, <laughs> we faxed orders. Everybody yeah. was doing that then. Email just came on in the 90s. We were Well, you you launched about the same time that Netscape kicked off Navigator. Yeah. That was the summer of 95, man. It was kind of funny. I I like to think I'm ahead on this technology stuff. It was in 19 around 1994-95. I went into this company. I remember the address, 505 Huntmar Plaza uh, in Herndon, and they were a company called Network Solutions. They were the domain registry. It's like one of the best contracts you could ever get. Domain registry for the internet before the internet's kind of famous. So they were telling me about this internet, how everything was going to connect. We're going to have all these computers. And I walked out of there with Dennis, uh, my 
partner, Dennis Bazaris, and we looked at each other. We didn't know what they were talking about. You know, it's like kind of that Today Show commercial thing. It, it, like we had literally no idea what they were talking about, what this internet's going to be. It was, uh, I wish I could say I was, a couple of years later, I picked up on it, but it was yeah. the initial meeting. You know, it was beyond what our imagination at the time. Yeah, Network Solutions had a lock on that, and they got it as a set-aside gig. Yep. So, strange times, man. So, um, I'm going to make this segment a little longer. So, But, you know, one of the interesting things about your career, and it, it, it blew me away at the time, and I never told you, in 2011, you started MobileGov. And you were anticipating the tsunami that was going to come in mobile communications. And I'm thinking, my flip phone ain't going to do nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're right. It it was, uh, and it really came from my concert days. So we we had developed a great way to do communications. But then I, how do I get connected to that person that's actually on the job site? And most technicians in 2010, they didn't, they didn't have, they had flip phones. They didn't have even, they didn't even have Blackberries. Technicians don't get Blackberries. Uh, so once the iPad came out, which was 2010, it's only been 10 years. And that was the first generation and smartphones started to develop. I was like, well, if I had to do concert all over again, what if I had all their work packets on their phone? And, uh, so I thought that could be a good natural extension. I'm not going to go into the same business I have, you know, I got a non-compete plus I, you know, I'd done that for 17 years at that point. I wanted to get into something else. So I started a consultancy in that space and uh, we probably were ahead of our time. And I think, I think one of the things uh, it took a few years, but I started ATARC. And uh, at that point I was doing a lot with act is if I don't help the federal government, get to the point where they could even absorb this new technology. Remember cloud was coming on, you know, cloud first was, uh, came out in 2009, you know, the, the yeah, 20 points. Yeah. Yeah. In, in 2010. So security, you know, it, BYOD, uh, all these tech issues, it was, it was, I ended up spending more time with, you know, act at the time before I had started ATAR really putting together these government people that, in developing these working groups so we could get the collective intelligence of the government up where they could even take on a smartphone, you know? Really? But, you know, and, and this is going to be illustrative moving, moving forward at that time. Uh, you know, you already knew who the networking people were in government because you installed all their crap forever. Now you knew the people who were the, the PMs behind the scenes uh, driving the program. So your ability to build those relationships is going to lead to some significant things, but we're going to get to that on the other side of the break. So you're listening to Amtower Off Center. I'm here with Tom Suter. Tom, what's the ATARC website? www.atark.org. A-T-A-R-C.org. Uh, we'll return right after this. And right after this is right now. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Tom Suter of ATARC, www.atark.org. And Tom is on LinkedIn, S-U-D-E-R, in case I don't enunciate. It happens. Um, So MobileGov, 
is still going. I believe your brother runs it now. Yes. But then, then you went on to launch Absurdo. And this, this was another possibly breaking in before things were ready. Is that accurate? Uh, or not? Yeah, I think so. And it's a really interesting story. So as you know, I'm an entrepreneur, as we discussed, but I got a call one day. So I'm running ATARC and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I got a call from somebody from MIT Lincoln Labs and uh, that wants to demonstrate some security technology at my event. And you have my attention at MIT, right? So yes, it's the most institution <laughs> in the world. It's not Harvard, but. It's not, it, well, it's better probably on the tech side. So yeah, that's true. Mobile security. So they, they came in and presented, and it was really a, you know, checking the, the code for malicious activity, but also kind of mapping it to standards. You know, what what is this code inside the app actually trying to do with your, uh, you know, what kind of attributes is kind of, trying to do it, you know, look at. But for an example, it's like you download a flashlight app. If it's a malicious app, it may be looking at your contacts. Now, why is it looking at your contacts? You don't even know that. And also when you check, check, check those boxes, it's up to the app vendor to actually tell you the truth. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's by accident. So this technology that MIT developed looked at the behavioral statistics of what the code's trying to access on your phone. So I, Five minutes after they demonstrated it, I talked to them about going down the road of commercialization, and I ended up getting a license with MIT, and we developed out, uh, well, we, you know, so I got a license from MIT, and then we started going down the road of trying to develop this, because we felt like uh, the federal government, if they were ever going to start using mobile apps, you need, you need to understand what the behavior of the, those mobile apps are. So we built the company. We got a broad agency announcement award from the Department of Homeland Security uh, Science and Technology Group. And uh, that helped us develop out this platform. And what, it, what we eventually developed was we would be able to take a mobile app uh, and test it while you're developing it. So you're making sure that you're following NIAP, which is NIST and NSA guidelines. And, uh, and follow that all the way to the path to it actually getting on your phone. So, and that's been a wild ride, very much fun. I've never been in the product development side and we got that to market. You know, what to your point is probably a little ahead of its time because uh, government agencies, uh, and we kind of focus on the low to no code areas and uh, government agencies aren't quite ready for that. They still want to develop apps natively and it's really hard to develop a good app on your own. We think that we're a little early still on that, but uh, we're making progress. Cool. Yeah, it, and that reminds me of GSA doing the uh, advantage. They they thought they could put together a transactional website, wouldn't be no big deal. Um, and they were wrong then, they're still wrong today. But that's, I'm not asking for an opinion. <laughs> so ab absurdo. Now, now we, I mean, you know, interspersed in here, so you have this this thing going on with MIT and Absurdo, but you you've worked as advisors with other universities as well. I, I don't want you to give away your secret sauce here, but but why do you do this? I always had a passion, you know, for taking technologies out of labs, and uh, 
you know, he kind of started Virginia Tech. I, I saw a project there called the Ghost Box, and it was a really unbelievable way to look at Android uh, development and really fine tune it to work on a phone. And it was a professor that did that. And I tried, I ended up helping them make it a couple introductions. And it, it, long story short, they sold that, that, that technology to a private company. So I've always had a passion. I worked for the University of Central Florida, the Institute for Simulation and Training down there. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do with ATARC is really help these universities that are doing cool technology that was probably funded by the federal government mm-hmm. and bring it to the rest of the federal <clears throat> government and really get it off the shelf and get it uh, commercialized. So that has been one of the, the things we've worked on at ATARC. Uh, other things have probably overtaken that to a degree, but that's what we want to kind of get back to our roots. I see all this great technology. It's a professor, really smart. They're not really CEO material. Uh, they want to stay at the university. You know, they're not business folks. So, so we want to try to help them. Go ahead. Is ATARC going to bring these to market? Do you have partners that are going to bring them to market? How's that work? We will help grease the wheels uh you know what that that's really probably what we want to do we don't want to be investing or anything like that but i think that what we've done over the years actually is bring some of these technologies to to light uh long term i'd love to set up some kind of thing in northern virginia similar to the center for innovative technologies but really be a place where all the uh, technology that the government invests in, either through a university or a federally funded lab. Let's have a place for that. And if we can be one of the co-hosts, maybe with a miter or somebody like that, where you can really see this technology. Because you know something that was developed out of the Department of Energy might have some applicability in the Department of Defense. And then kind of create that ecosystem where you have entrepreneurs. I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that sell their company and then they, they get itchy again. Now it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to start a, a business if you have something. Yeah. You know, start something from scratch, and if you can start with, like I did, really, you know, some federally funded research. Let's take the advantage of that and and find new ways to use it since it's already been invested in the federal government. So how how are you tracking, um, where where to go, where to ferret these things out? So I mean, you've been to three different schools now. Not to mention Virginia Tech. I know, and I helped uh, University of Maryland uh, Global Campus. Now they're they're called that. Uh, what are what we want to do long term is have somebody in charge of that. Everything has been kind of ad hoc. We see a really cool. We just had uh, Mike Posmentier and and Doug Mon. They actually used to be at DHS Science and Technology. They're over at National Science Foundation. And we we're having them speak. Uh, I think Mike's speaking about they've invested in some AI companies. And I mean, excuse me, AI uh, projects. And these are with universities. So right now we're working on trying to find all the center for excellences around AI. You know, we're kind of starting there, identifying them, and then let everybody else see this technology. So we ha- actually have a it's more of a 2021 plan, but we've identified all these center for excellences. Like Virginia Tech has a Hume Center. They are working on AI projects right now. Uh, kind of focus on that and uh, you know, identifying where everybody's got the research going. Follow the federal funding that's happening, which is starting to really pick up around AI and uh, just show some light to, to it. Now, some of these projects aren't done. They may never be commercially viable, uh, but we're gonna 
you know, we're going to showcase them so they get their publicity, you get to read about them, you get to see them. And then what we want to eventually do is develop that, that ecosystem, you know, with the, uh, with the venture capital folks, you know, maybe they've got somebody that, you know, took one of their companies in the space. And then with the, with these companies, these tech companies that are now in AI, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, they are looking for purchases. So if they can get some IP or they can take on that team that has three or four people and integrate it into, into their uh, portfolio, there's going to be some value for that. Yeah, that's a heck of a, well, I mean, just what you've done is, is, is a great thing. Um, and, and will continue to be something I should follow closer, Tom. Um, even though I won't understand any of the technologies, regardless, it's cool to watch. So don't sell, I, don't sell yourself short. I'm sure you know. No, the, on the techno on the marketing side, I'm peachy keen. Yep. On the technology side, you know, no, nah, not my gig. Um, but you know, I, I just love the way that you ferret these things out and then help bring them to fruition. And we're going to end the segment with that. Um, I'm talking to Tom Suter. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about ATARC. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Back right after this. In these uncertain times, Federal News Network can help you navigate your agency's response to coronavirus. Download our app and read our coronavirus resource page with the latest news and information on your agency's evolving telework, pay and leave policies, acquisition guidance, and what this all means for your TSP. We are here to serve you, the dedicated federal employees and contractors who continue to serve your mission. The Federal News Network app, available on the App Store and on Google Play. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Tom Suter of ATARC, A-T-A-R-C dot org. Um, and so I, I, I watched you launched ATARC. I wasn't quite sure what it was about. Uh, then you, uh, you adopted GuyTech, which was kind of a mercy thing because GuyTech was doing its damnedest to die. Um, which is too bad because it was a really good organization once upon a time. So talk about the launch of, of ATARC and your vision there. Well, let me just uh, cover the Guytech merger. Yeah, they, they were a big organization. Um, but you know what? The, the, the market changed a little bit and they were run by the government. Um, they still had a, had a great brand. And, uh, but we'll get back to that, how, how that merger happened. But really, I started ATARC. Uh, really to do what I was just discussing in the last segment. It right. was really to bring technology out of, out of labs and uh, try to bring the light of it, of it. What happened though is I kept getting approached by the government about problems. You know, I had started out mobility, as you can probably guess. We had a, had a, mo a very strong mobility group that actually continues to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, we partner with the federal mobility group and uh, you know, is is the government has moved forward? We've been we've been on with them for a while, but uh, I got approached by Dave McClure, who ran OSIT, the Office of Citizen Services and Innovative Technologies at the time. It was now called TTS. And uh, Maria wrote, you might have heard of her, you know, federal yeah. CIA now. She worked as the FedRAN program manager then. Katie Lewin, Bajinder Paul, Sonny Bagualia. They had a he had a really nice Kathy Conrad. He had a really, uh, Martha Doris, he really had a really good team there. 
and they wanted to say, hey, I really liked what you did with the mobile. Can you do this for me for cloud? And I was like, that was a different direction from ATARC at the time. And I said, okay, Dave, we'll, we'll do that. And we put on a early cloud summit and it worked out really, really well. What um, year was this? This was in, uh, I think, 13 or so. So uh, now all of a sudden we're not just mobile. You know, we were kind of doing mobile work. Now we're cloud. And, and since then we've expanded, you know, we've got a cyber practice, we've got a DevOps practice, we've got an AI and data analytics practice, which kind of suited me personally because I always embraced technology at concert and uh, implemented cloud technology before it was called cloud technology. That really kind of got us going outside of, oh, they're the mobile guys. And we did, you know, big events downtown, uh, kind of started off in the event business. And if I was to recommend you starting a, anybody starting a nonprofit, we kind of went, we're big events right away. Usually you kind of build up to that. Right. We actually started with, with big events. And uh, the first event that I did actually was kind of a good story. It was, it was a, the federal government, um, USDA and the CIO council ran a mobility show. And it was very, I went to the first one. It was back in 2011, very government centric, mostly government there. Uh, Chris Smith was the CIO there. And uh, at the time he's now with AT&T, but we did it at the Reagan building, 500 people. And I had helped out with the programming. And the next year they came to me and said, Tom, I really want you to uh, run this show. And uh, I said, okay, I'll help out with the show. It was like to help out with the show. Then we had the GSA conference scandal. This is in 2012. Kind of still, it's eight years ago. I can't believe it's it's actually been eight years now. Eight, eight years and we still are dealing with the uh, fallout. Exactly. <clears throat> so the federal government's out of the show business. They are not running shows. They're not putting any budget to it. So they had reserved some space in the Reagan building. And they said, well, we're going to have to cut the show. I said, no, don't cut it. So I ended up taking over this responsibility for the show. Um, we had to put up a website in 10 weeks. We had to put up uh, registration. We had to send emails to draw people there. We had to go get sponsors. And I was partnered with our mutual friend, Luann Brosman on this. She thought it was crazy. She thought it was like gonna take six months to do it. And I said, the opportunity is now. So we managed to pull that show through. Um, and it was one of the hardest things we've ever had to do, but we got like 50 companies to do it. We had maybe 400 people, which is like for your first show is pretty good. Yeah, not uh, bad. Got, yeah, it was not bad to get things started. <clears throat> and next thing you know, we've, here we go, we're off, off and running. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, that was a period of opportunity for some, but too many just were deathly afraid of, hosting it for fear that govies wouldn't come. Yeah. And I think, I think what happened in the market is uh, uh, at the end of the day, if we can't draw government, everything else takes care of itself. If you can draw government, what do you have to do to draw government? You know, one of the things that we always do is we have government panels um, and that draws government. Uh, you know, you, what happens is you end up selling sponsorships too much and you, you oversaturate it and you've got all these industry people talking. Nobody goes to the event to hear the industry people talking. They really want to hear the government. Now, if you tactfully intersperse the industry in there, that's a lot better, a lot better. And I saw some other associations just like, if I could sell another sponsorship, I'll do it. 
but you want to have the brand. You want to protect that the brand. In ATARC, we really restrict industry going there. We kind of make it exclusive. So um, most of our events are two to one government over industry. And I think that's really served us well. And uh, we, do, we could always sell, you know, day of tickets and sell, you know, make more money. And we might for one event. But then after that, gradually the government dissipates. Um, so we found that when you have a room full of government people, they're going to keep coming to your events. If you have a room full where it's one government person every 12 industry, they're going to feel intimidated and they're not going to want to want to hear it. Um, you know, it's well, they're gonna not going to share. They're not going to share. Yeah. And I mean, I was involved in act IAC early back when it was still called the gypsy. Um, so way, way long ago, but we used to have criteria, a set standard X number of govies and this percentage of industry. And it was always heavy on, on the govies. And when that went South, I went away. Um, yeah. Act when you know, has been a very influential organization in my life. I give them a lot of credit. Um, I actually follow a lot of the principles they had back then. And they, they were, I remember I ended up going on a cruise and usually I was a chair of like management of change or vice chair of management of change like in 2010. And I knew that if you started sneaking those got those industry people on, you know, unless they're a thought leader or a CTO type and you want to do it tastefully, next thing you know, it, you know, it's very easy to make a couple extra dollars. And, and, and then next thing you know, you never do it. You never have all government panels. You have mostly industry and it's a different dynamic. Yeah, you've diluted the gene pool, uh, which is, is literally the kiss of death for that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you maintain that but you know the the other thing is and we touched on it briefly if you've got 40 govies out of 45 people in a session the likelihood of an idea exchange problem issues coming to the fore is is much higher if the inverse were true none of that would happen yeah i i agree and even in the industry we have i like to get people that are in our working groups that maybe were ex-government that are now in the industry or they're, you know, a real thought leaders. Um, you know, you don't want somebody that's responsible for like, uh, you know, a quota that is just being very transactional. You know, uh, the smartest salespeople actually out there don't think like that. They think big picture. Uh, it, and there's nothing wrong with salespeople, but in this thought leadership position, you know, the people that participate, the, you know, they, they, they've got a technical background. Um, you know, but people, people join ATARC, they, you know, they want to make money too, you know, and there's sure. nothing wrong with that, but you know, you do it outside that arena. We kind of like, I, one of the things I learned from MacDiac is, you know, you don't talk business in these meetings, you know, you're not transactionally selling them. You have these bilateral meetings later, you know, but they get to know you, they get to trust you. It's, you know, people buy from who they trust. So this is an opportunity for you to who, for them to understand you and what makes you tick and then they trust you. And then, Oh yeah, later you're there for your company. You know, you're there to, you know, sell more widgets. Add value first. Yep. Yep. Bingo. All right. We're going to take a break. I want to come back and talk to you about the five areas that ATARC focuses on. You're listening to Tower off center on the federal news network. Tom and I shall return to wrap up right after this. 
Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Tom Suter, and I will apologize once again. Um, I'm having a really good time. I'm learning a lot about you and ATAR. I've known you for 25 years, but I feel like I'm just getting to know you right now. My fault. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Um, but ATAR, five technical areas, right? So um, take them in any order you want. Yeah and talk about the events, and if you can, weave in how you've adapted the events during COVID. Yeah, thank you, Mark. One of the, the areas, uh, you know, we have cloud and infrastructure, and infrastructure, you know, includes like data centers, it includes things like 5G now, and that group's pretty mature. We've been talking about, you know, moving from uh, data centers to cloud, one of the interesting things that we've done in that group is like TIC 3.0, you know, that's really remote computing. And this is the direction I want to take ATARC. You know, it's great to produce white papers. It's great for us to meet. We actually designed a TIC 3.0 lab partnered with our friends from Equinix, where uh, we now call it the TIC 3.0 Demonstration Center. I've got to get my terminology <laughs> right. Uh, but we have about seven or eight companies in there, and they're basically aligning to the TIC uh, Sean Connolly and CISA and that group uh, have uh, responsible for TIC 3.0. They have like about five different use cases. And uh, with these use cases, uh, we are aligning to them and uh, demonstrating results. And, you know, it's, it's great to have these companies participate. It's actually no cost to the government. So they get to, you know, they get to do their market research on these solutions. We're not there to pick the solutions, let the government do that. But I think that it, these solutions now can go to the federal government and uh, now they got, they got something to handle remote computing. So that's that group. That's been going fantastic. Uh, one of our strongest groups has been the DevOps group or DevSecOps group is half the people want to say. We've really partnered with the federal government on that. Nick Shalon is the chair of, he's the chief software officer at the U.S. Air Force. Uh, Nick has been a very big influencer in that. Mark Schwartz, when he was at USCIS, is the CIO. He's one of the fathers of DevOps. And, you know, he's from the federal government, but he's written a lot of books there. So we are really helping the government uh, do that. We actually have a survey coming out that we're doing uh, with GitLab and uh, Red Hat, as well as the Air Force. And we surveyed the entire federal community on DevOps. And that'll be coming out. Soon. soon so we're gonna have an event i think in, in december but you know it, hopefully it'll make these cios have have good decisions about that now from an event like that are you also going to spin off some white papers case studies some other things that people can avail themselves of you got it you've been in this business for a while you don't want to have a one shot you want to be able to permeate this these ideas over time Right. And so Red Hat and GitLab, they were our two partners on this. They're going to do their own independent thing. I'm sure the Air Force is going to want to leverage this information. And uh, yeah, we'll have an event around it. It'll be something that we talk about in our working groups. It'll be something that we use the information and leverage it through the year. We only want to do one survey in a particular field a year. And then we can, you know, if we do it the next year, then we can kind of see what's changed and what hasn't. Okay. So but let's use this as an example. This event is coming up. Traditionally, a year ago, this would have been a live event, Reagan Center, something like that. And you were one of the first to pivot successfully into this whole virtual uh, conference scenario. 
So I'm assuming this will be virtual. It will be. How did you go about picking your platforms to do this right? It really, Mark, this changed so fast. And, and I, I, I really was following COVID-19. I was listening to what was going on in China as soon as it happened. I, I realized it was, it was going to affect my business. And the last event we had was actually the week before the federal government. It was in March. It was March 10th on a Tuesday. And we actually had an in-person event. And I had um, my person call and make sure that everybody attends and we sent out emails. I got not one email on March 10th saying, I'm not going to your event because of COVID. The actual event was very well attended. It was down a few points. And I think people had hard conversations with their spouses, should you really be going to this event? Just think on Wednesday was President Trump address. On Thursday morning, I, I had a staffer at, at uh, the store at six o'clock in the morning and we're buying out all the food and we we're running out of toilet paper. Uh, I was at a meeting at the Jake, the Joint AI Center on a Friday and the bandwidth was already a problem. It was like somebody's going away party. It was in our working group. And that was it. Then the government closed down on Monday. One office was open. So that moved quick. That week we really decided we're going to have to, what can we do? We don't, we have to invent new things. So we hadn't done too many webinars, but there was demand in our community. It's like, okay, I don't have all these events now. These physical events all canceled. We canceled all of our events. We had a bunch of them ready to go in the next couple of months. We had to cancel them all. But then you're in the marketing side on your part of the world. I've got all this budget. I need to make my quota. And we, I realized pretty soon we needed to start cranking out webinars. So we started a webinar in a week or so. And then we've done a at least one webinar a week, I think, every week since. So that was probably the first thing is you got to go virtual. Um, we ended up settling on Zoom for government. We went to the Zoom product initially, and then we went to Zoom for government. And if you can remember, there's some bad press. These cycles move so quick. Zoom made a few changes, and now um, it's been a good platform. We've used others too. I, I think that I think one of these things is as long as you're using one of them, that's so much better collaboration than not using, you know, conference calls. So uh, we also did a very big virtual event. I mean, we went big. We went uh, five tracks. It was a large event. We had 40 sponsors. This is in the July timeframe, I believe. And uh, we use another platform. Uh, it had the virtual booths and, and you know what? That just didn't work. You know, it really didn't it didn't work. Now, the, the conference itself was great. We had all these great speakers. I think we had like 80 speakers. It worked really, really well. The team really came together on that. But I will say the, the virtual booth experience, and I've, I've talked to other people that have done it, the technology isn't quite there. The technology is impressive, except for the booth experience. It's like a chat. Who wants to chat with somebody? Right. I want to see them, at least see them like we are right now. That was kind of the only disappointment there. Um, that we had, but we, since then we've gone on, we've got our newsletter five days a week. We've been doing um, private events. We've been doing surveys. Our working groups have exploded just with the interaction is so much better than everybody being on a conference call. It's that interaction has been very rewarding for everybody involved in our government. You know, the government's been participating more and getting value out of it. Yeah, the Zoom experience is cool. I, I was in a meeting that was uh, Zoom bombed or 
whatever it was. And it, that was, it was just unspeakable. Um, but we, we got around that issue shortly thereafter. But Zoom was one of the first platforms that got FedRamped. And I think it's WebEx and uh, On24, I think, are the other two. I don't know if there's even a fourth yet. Yeah, I may be Teams, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would, that would be, okay. yeah, because government is using Teams. It must be authorized. Well, I, I'll put in a little plug. Matt Mandrock, who, he's a very interesting guy. He's, you know, was at Extreme Networks in Cisco. He actually took the Zoom government job like a month before pandemic. Oh, wow. So he started like week two of the pandemic. And we um, got stock options. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not feeling too sorry for the Mandrock family. Uh, Matt, he actually went to Virginia Tech with me. He is doing a great job. They're really working with the government. Um, they're, go, you know, you know, the government says we don't like this. They go change it. They, he's got really good direction to the CEO of Zoom. And they, you know, we use Zoom for governments, FedRAMP. And, uh, you know, we haven't had any any issues. And, and it just works. So we like it. Okay. Let's, let's just buzz through because we only have a couple of minutes. Give the five areas where you are involved in invested technology-wise? Yeah, I think AI and data analytics is, gosh, it's, it's, it's probably the biggest thing that we have going now. We're working with a joint AI center, a lot of things going there. And, mm -hmm. and back to what I said about the TIC lab, we're, we're coming out with a data and analytics lab. That's going to be very interesting. So it's a, going to be a place where government can kind of come in there, kick the tires on a new piece of technology, and then it's between them and the company, whether they deploy it in their enterprise. So we have, we have a big event around that coming up and we have a couple of use cases that we're gonna leverage. Uh, we're partnered with a company that had supported GSA at the CDO at the time. So this is already a FedRAMP product that we are gonna kind of like white label and allow the rest of the federal government to use. And you know, I got, I got the coalition of the willing, we can get any kind of um, you know, government industry people there. I think security is a big area that we've been in. I mean, we've been working in security for a while, but we have a dedicated group there. I'd really like to develop a security lab in, com in conjunction with the CDM program, which would be very, very cool. And then the latest thing we have was really exciting is our digital transformation working group. That's gonna be coming out in, um, in December. And it's really about the IDEA Act which is the 21st Century Idea Act, is about digitizing the federal government, which we've been talking about doing since the mid 70s. Uh, really getting over that last hump of paper. And that's going to be a Paperwork really Reduction exciting. Act, yeah. Paperwork <laughs> Reduction Act. Um, um, well, let, let me wrap up with this then. If people have technologies that mesh with what you do, how can, how can industry get involved with you and ATAR? Yeah, I mean, I think we pretty much cover with our five verticals, we pretty much cover any technology company. And I think that's a good point, Mark. We mostly work with product companies and software companies. So just get in touch with me. I handle every, you know, I like to, I like to learn about the technology before we invite them to the family kind of thing. I want to understand their technology so we can put them in good spots to succeed. And every company that comes through, I talk to, I want to see them. I want to understand their technology and it'll allow me to help their businesses out cool tom i can't believe it's taken this long to do this but thank you very much for coming in man yep thanks i'm honored
greatly appreciated. Again, ATARC, A-T-A-R-C dot org. Tom Suter with a D. Look him up on LinkedIn. And once again, this is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, particularly at the beginning of the FY. If you're having a meeting to decide where to go, what to do, and how to spend your overly limited marketing dollars, give me a shout. Uh, Drop me a line at markamtower at gmail. And thanks for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. There's a better way to drive traffic to your e-commerce store. Harness the power of AdRoll Dynamic Display Ads. Promote your products with interactive ads or showcase your best offers with an in-ad video. Not only is it easy for customers, you save money too. Dynamic display ads lower cost per conversion by 50% compared to static ads. See the difference. Visit AdRoll.com to get started today.